We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. I just want to share with you some thoughts that I've been having this week. This week we've been having 21 days of prayer. So every night, Monday night, Tuesday, Monday through Friday, uh, we were meeting at Nancy's house and praying. And it was an awesome time, um, several of us. Just the presence of God just different each night. Um, and it's always, it's always a pow- powerful time. And so there are some things that I was sharing in prayer that I just want to share with you all because I think it's important as we're digging, I've been talking about digging, uh, going after God, just digging in um, through the summer, um, being patient, waiting on God for, for him to fulfill his promises. As you're digging, I think it's important uh, to know how to pray. Prayer is a big part of digging. Prayer is a big part of pressing into God. And, and, uh, and so, so I want to share just with you three, just three keys uh, of prayer that I that I think can help you. But before I do, I want to share a story um, from my life. Um, some of you know, some of you don't know, but when I was um, uh, seven years old, my parents decided, no, eight years old, my parents decided to homeschool me. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm so awesome, because uh, I was homeschooled, because uh, homeschool kids are awesome. And uh, me and my brother and my sister, we were, we were homeschooled right on through high school. Um, and uh, when I was 12 years old, uh, the Lord really began to speak to me about dating. And so it's kind of a touchy subject because, uh, because nobody wants to be told not to date. And uh, anyway, when I was 12 years old, God shared with me that, that I don't need to be dating. Um, so if you're 12 years old today, I, my opinion is you don't need to be dating either. Um, there's not a lot of good that comes out of teenagers uh, dating. Um, because the, I, the purpose of getting to know people ought to be, you know, of the opposite sex in that kind of romantic way, ought to be seeking somebody to marry. And so if you don't, if you don't drive your own car, live in your own house, pay your own... <laughs> all the parents ought to be amen to me right now. All the teenagers are shrinking down. I thought he was cool. He wore skinny jeans. Nope, I was homeschooled. Um... I just shop at H&M, that's all. Uh, but but God, God spoke to me about dating. And I, I, don't, I don't pass judgment on teenagers who do date. I think that's between you and God. Um, I would recommend uh, being very cautious about that. But, but anyway, I was 12 years old. God challenged me not to date, which was difficult because I really liked girls. Um, I already had a few girls kind of that I was figuring out which one I was going to be my girlfriend. And, and uh, the Lord just called me not today and, and, and really laid it out. Very, it just made sense to me. And so, so I responded in obedience to God and I decided um, not today. And God shared with me that he would let me know. Like he would just let me know. Like I don't need to be looking. I don't need to be thinking about it. That he would just let me know when it was time um, to start dating. And so, right, I mean, 12 years, 13, 14, 15 uh, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I'm 22 years old, and it's New Year's Eve, and I wasn't praying. We had just, uh, my brother and a family and I, and we had some friends over. We just watched the ball drop on TV, you know, and uh, ringing in the new year, um, 2003, and uh, I, I go back to my bedroom to, to get something. I, I forget what I was getting, but I mean, I flipped on the light, and God just spoke to me really clearly and said, uh, a year from now, you're going to be dating someone. And um, I was like, wow, like that was, it was just so almost an audible voice. Very few times I've heard that in my life, but it was just really clear. 
And uh, that's good because I'm kind of dense sometimes, so I need God to be really clear with me. And so I said, okay, okay, okay. So I was at Bible college in Ohio, and um, there was a girl that I had known since I was 12, actually. She had committed not to date as well. Um, we, we were really good friends. And so in January, my cousin was getting married. So I invited her to be my, my date because I was, I was like his one of, I wasn't his best man. I was, I was in the wedding party. And so she, she accepted, so she went with me, you know, and, and I was totally new at any of this. So I, I had no finesse or anything, you know, I didn't know what, what I was, I was 22 and I didn't know what I was doing. And so, you know, we held hands, we did a little dance and I don't dance, but anyway, you know, we, I only did the slow dance. So you stand there like you do, do this kind of thing. And um, I, I thought it went off pretty good. I mean, I thought it was pretty good. So I went back to Ohio and I'm um, sitting in my dorm room, February 1st. Um, of 2003, and, and I had never asked a girl out before, and so I didn't know how to do it well. So I, I, I wrote an email. This is, this is back 2003. So I wrote an email, typed up an email, said, hey, look, you know, um, I really enjoyed our time at the wedding. Um, I'd be interested in flying. She was at school somewhere like up north, like in Wisconsin or something. And so I was thinking, I said, It'd be, I'd be interested to fly up and we hang out and just see if there's anything there kind of thing. And so there's an email, and I sent it, you know, sent the email. And, and, and then I waited. <laughs> and so this is back in the day of, I forget, I think I was Yahoo. Yeah, some, some of you guys still have Yahoo accounts. I don't know how that works, but um, I, had, I, had, I had a Yahoo or AOL or something, Instant Messenger. So, so I had a Yahoo account, so I'm online in my dorm room at the computer, you know, just hitting refresh, you know. And it's just like nothing, refresh, nothing. It's like, okay, well, I, you know, I'm being dumb. I need to go to class. So I go to class. I come back later on that night. Hit refresh, nothing. Hit refresh, nothing. I sit there for a little while, refresh, nothing. So I, so I finally go to sleep. I wake up first thing in the morning. Hit refresh, nothing. Hit refresh, nothing. And it's just nothing there. He said, oh. And, uh, and, I, and so I'm like, well, okay, well, maybe, maybe she's busy. It's taking a little while. So the next day, you know, I'm hitting refresh, and there's some junk mail. And I don't need that. And I hit and refresh, and there's, some, and, and there's nothing, and there's nothing. And then three days go by, four days go by, a week goes by. And I start thinking, huh, she's not responding to my email. Like, you know, uh, this, is, this is awkward. And so two weeks go by. Now, remember, it was February 1st. Well, two weeks from that day is February 14th. That's National Single Awareness Day. And, <laughs> and, I, and I knew it well. <laughs> I celebrated it every year. This is the first year that I wasn't celebrating it because I thought maybe I, this would be the first year that I, that I wasn't in that category. And, um, but I'm still hitting refresh and nothing and nothing and nothing. And so I remember I was, in a, uh, I was in Bible college in Ohio, and on February 14th, there was a, a blizzard. I mean, like two feet of snow. Um, snow, that's that white, fluffy stuff you see on TV for all you Texans. It comes down from the sky, and it builds up, and it makes the road slippery. And so I decided on February 14th that I was going to drive to a floral shop and buy a rose. Um, just, I mean, she hadn't responded. I kept refreshing. Nothing, came, nothing was coming in. But I just decided, you know what? If God told me that I was going to be dating somebody this time, I might as well buy a rose just out of faith. And so, and so I'd go out there in the snow, and I'm sliding around. You know, I'm like the only one on the roads. The lady, uh, the florist, you know, she's, she, she packs one rose, puts it in a little plastic case, and she's like, must be a real special girl. And I said, like, yeah, I, I hope so. And uh, I, I took it, you know, and uh, take it back to my dorm room, and I just stuck it under my bed just as I, I, I just called it my faith rose, right, my faith flower. Like this is like, this is for whoever God's talking about. 
darn it, I'm getting ready. And so I bought the rose, stuck it under my bed, and kept hitting refresh. Well, a week later, still nothing. Uh, a month later, still nothing. By this time, I can take a hint. Um, I realized that she's just not interested. And I mean, at least she could send me an email back, like saying, no, you're too short, or no, I don't like you in that way, or you're in the friend zone, or something, you know, but nothing, 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 nothing. I, I don't get anything. And so actually, while I was hitting refresh a thousand bazillion times throughout that month, um, I, this is back in 2003, I got, a, I got an email invite to a Christian dating site. This is before eHarmony. This is before anything else. And so anyway, I, I was like, no, I'm not desperate. I'm not getting on a dating site, you know. And uh, I, I, yeah, I just, that was for weird people, you know, especially back then. I mean, that was, it was like, you were like really desperate. And um, I was like, that's not me. I'm fine, um, you know. But I, I wasn't getting anything back. And so finally, after a month, I decided, you know what, I guess I'll just go on there and look. And I didn't, I didn't want to look at the, the girls' profiles. I want to look at the guys' Because I was a little bit bitter because, like, what did they have that I didn't have? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I was wondering. And so I got on there. I logged in, created a little account, and I started looking at all the guys' profiles. And it was, like, the lamest thing ever. Like, number one, I was better looking than, like, more than half of them. <laughs> like, just off the bat. I was like, uh-uh. And, uh, uh, and, and, and then, like, the, the, their, their about, about me section, it was so lame. It was like, I like long walks on the beach, and... I love romantic comedies. And I'm like, are you a dude? Like, like a real, like, <laughs> for real? Like, it was just all this, like, fluffy, I mean, uh, I was like, this is, so I, I was, I was, like, I was full of, up to here of baloney from these guys. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to make my own profile. And uh, so, so, you know, I take a picture, and, um, and then in the About Me section, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm starting to bald a little bit in the back. Um, I shave my back regularly. Um, I, I don't like long walks anywhere. Um, I don't like to walk, really. I, 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 prefer, I prefer to drive, ride some kind of, mo, you know, vehicular something. I like the AC. And then, and, and, and then, and then I also sort of knew, like, like, Christian girls, like, what would sort of bug them. And so I started quoting, like, like I think it's 1 Corinthians that says women should be silent in the church. And, and uh, uh, they, 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 they got to have a head covering, you know, because... <laughs> Just taking scripture out of context and just throwing it out there. And I thought it was hilarious. I'm cracking up, you know. My profile is the only snarky one. And I'm like, yeah, let's, uh, let's see all the hate mail I get. I was a little bitter. And um, I, was just, I was just waiting for hate mail. Well, all, all these girls are just like, oh, you look real interesting. Oh, you look cute. And I'm like, that's my problem. I've been too nice all my life. That's my problem. And... Uh, uh, <laughs> I found out, though, later on that, 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 that the, the administrators of the website had found my, my stuff offensive, and they had edited my About Me section and just said, I'll add to this later. They deleted my whole hilarious rant. It's, it's like censorship. I thought we were in America. What is this, China? They just, they just cut it all out. And, 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 so, and so that's why the girls were sending me messages because they just saw my picture and Obviously, I look better than most of the guys on there. So um, one of the girls that, that sent me, so they would send me emails, and I would just make fun of them. Like, I would just, I would just, like, I was sarcastic. And so, um, and so, so one girl sent me an email, and um, I just responded in some kind of funny way. And uh, she actually thought it was funny. She showed it to a girl named Rowena. Um, who said, hey, I think you're going to like this guy. Coincidentally, Rowena's visiting us today at City Chapel. It's so cool. Um, this story just fits right in. And, uh, 
uh, and, and, she's, and she said, I think you might like that guy. And she saw my picture, and she said, I think I will like that guy. And so she created an account on the Cheesy Christian website and um, sent me an email. I don't remember anything about her email except that she signed off as a Kiwi. And I didn't know that New Zealanders were called Kiwis. As far as I knew, Kiwi was a fruit. And so I didn't respond to any of the stuff she said. I just replied with, well, if we're going to be fruit, I'd rather be a grape. And I spent the whole email <laughs> describing why grapes are better than kiwis. And they are. Grapes are so much better. Grapes are great. I'll tell you that right now. Great. I mean, you can, you can, you can pick them off the vine. You refrigerate it. You can freeze them. They get all crunchy and tasty. Like, I love, you can peel them. Uh, if they stay out in the sun too long, they turn into raisins. You put them in a salad. You can squish them and drink the juice. If you leave the juice out for a couple of years, you have communion. I mean, grapes are... <laughs> Not in this church. Uh, grapes are... Grapes are great. And so I just went on and on about grapes. And so she thought it was hilarious. We started emailing back and forth for about three years. And so, anyway, the point of my story is that sometimes, like, you get... Like, you, 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 have, an, you have an expectation... Um, but your expectation is not accurate. I mean, it's accurate, but it's not entirely accurate. So when God told me a year from now you're going to be dating somebody, I thought a year from now I'm going to be dating this girl that's in Wisconsin. And so it's going to be awesome because I know her, I like her, it's just going to be perfect. And, and God had something else for me. God, God, God had Robro at Yahoo.com. Um, who I who I, I I didn't even know, and 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 God still fulfilled His word though. It was interesting because uh, uh, later on that year in the fall semester, I met this girl uh, at at Bible college, the only other girl I dated other than Ro, because um, God told me to, and. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, her name's Anastasia. You might have heard of her, Russian princess, and all. She's kind of famous. And uh, I'm, uh, so I met her, and we, we, and I, on, on New Year's Eve, actually, we decided to kind of make it official and start dating. And so February 14th rolls around, and um, she's 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 there. She's in my life. We're dating. Things are going great. And so I get the rose out from under the bed, you know. And I mean, it was like Beauty and the Beast. It was awesome. Like the petals hadn't even fallen or anything, and it was all dead and crinkly. But you know, you just left it in the box. And so I take her out to eat. It's a nice meal. I, I I I give her the rose. I explain the story, you know. And she she opens it up and she's like, "It's dead." <laughs> like, give me that. Like, you don't even. Obviously, she's not the one for me. Uh, but, but I mean, but seriously, though, some, sometimes people who haven't had your experience, like they can't share your excitement because it doesn't mean as much to them as it means to you because they weren't there in the blizzard the year before because they weren't there for the 11 years prior where I was, I was fasting from dating because they didn't share my experience, so they didn't share my excitement. Um, and so as we're talking about expectation, though, it's important to get excited, but it's also important to know that not everybody's going to share your excitement because not everybody's going to have your same expectation because not everybody has been through the waiting process that you have been through. And not everybody's been through, not everybody's paid the price that you've paid. For her, that rose was five bucks at a, at a, at a, at a, at a, at a local florist. And for me, it was 12 years, 11 years of, of being faithful to God. And it's a little worth more than five bucks. You know what I'm saying? And so sometimes... Uh, there, there are things that we can expect and we can be excited about, which, by the way, I'm excited about City Chapel going to two services in six 
weeks from today, six weeks from today, we're going to cut the church in half and we're going to have twice as many empty seats and it's going to be awesome because of what God is doing. And some, some of you are just like, oh yeah, that's nice. That's because you haven't, that's because you haven't suffered through what we've suffered through and uh, you haven't been watching the kids as the kids area is exploding and try to wrangle 35 kids in a room that seats 40 and uh, that's okay. You haven't, you haven't been there. So you're not, you don't share excitement. That's fine. Just, I'm excited enough for both of us to know what God is about to do, the people God's about to save, the people God's about to heal, the people God's about to restore and deliver and bring into this place and find a home. The, 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 the homeless people, both literally homeless and spiritually homeless, that God is going to connect to his family. I'm excited about what God's going to do in six weeks. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm, I'm looking forward with, with expectation. But in the middle of, of the expectation, it's important to know how to pray. It's important to know how to walk through that. And so in order to do that, I'd like to pull up this piece of scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking about prayer. Actually, at the beginning of, of Luke chapter 11, it says that Jesus himself was praying in a certain place. And it's funny, God's talking to God. Um, that would have been an interesting prayer. Jesus himself is praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. These, these guys, these disciples of his, they would have grown up praying. They would have grown up uh, memorizing several prayers every single day. In fact, multiple times a day, Jews face toward Jerusalem, get on their knees and recite different prayers. And so they knew how to pray. These guys are not foreign to prayer. They're not unaware of, oh, so do I, do I say dear God or just God or, you know, how does that work? Like they're not asking those kinds of questions. They grew up in prayer. They grew up going to the synagogue, uh, having the priest pray over them. They grew up having their father every single night pray a prayer of blessing over them. So they, they were well-versed in prayer. They're not foreign to prayer. But for some reason, when they heard Jesus pray, they said, wait a minute, teach us to pray. In other words, teach us to pray like you're praying. Because, because we know how to pray, but we've never heard anything like that before. And so they said, teach us, Jesus. Teach us to pray like you are praying, just as John taught his disciples. And so he said to them, when you pray, here are, here are some words that you can use. And you've heard of this called the Lord's Prayer. In Luke's version, it's kind of shortened. He says, Father, um, holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Father, your name is holy. May, it literally means may, may your name be kept holy. Father, may, may, may your reputation be kept awesome. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day your daily, uh, our daily bread and forgive us of our sins. Every day, yeah, that's called repentance. Every day, forgive us of our sins as we, we are currently forgiving everyone who is indebted to us or who is sinning against us. And lead us not into temptation. Luke uh, in uh, the, the, the English Standard Version, kind of cuts it off there. Going on to the next verse, he, he, he gives them the words for prayer, right? He says this is what prayer is, uh, but in verse 5, he begins describing uh, the setting for prayer or the, 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 the area uh, where, where prayer happens, how prayer happens, why prayer happens. He has the what, and then he needs the why. And uh, in order to get the why, you got to have the slide. And... Uh, he <laughs> I'm a poet, you didn't even know it. And he said to them, let me, he says, let me paint a picture. He says, which of you uh, who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing 
to set before him. This is, this is the picture of prayer that Jesus is painting. He says, oh, here's, here's some words that you can say. Here's, here's structure to your prayer. Uh, but, but to really pray, to really be able to get, to get meaning to these words, you have to understand something. You have to understand how God sees prayer, how God sees you, and how God sees himself. In this scenario. And so Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Suppose you have a friend. So that's the first point that I'd like to make is that God sees himself as your friend. He sees himself in a relationship, in a friendship relationship with mankind, with humanity, and especially his servants. He sees himself in this relationship. He says, he says, look, let's let's talk about you and God. Okay, so you and this friend, you have this friend, and and you go to him. That is what prayer is. Prayer is going to God. Going to him, knocking on the door of heaven. You go to him at midnight. Now, this is interesting. He paints a story. He could have said you go to him just period and not even mention what time of day it is. So often in parables and stories, the Bible never tells you what time of day it is. So whenever Jesus says, hey, by the way, when you go to God in prayer, it's at midnight. He's trying to prove a point. He's trying to, make, to, to paint a setting for you. It's dark outside. It's the middle of the night. It's midnight. I don't know about you, but if I get a phone call at midnight, um, usually, especially if it's from the church, usually it's some, you know, somebody's drunk, um, or, <laughs> and that has happened, um, or somebody's desperate. Like, it's kind of like one of those two things. You don't generally just call people up at midnight. You don't generally especially show up at somebody's house in the middle of the night, start knocking on the door. This is not normal behavior. This is not, this is not rational behavior. This is not just, hey, you, you have this friend and you're going to go have a lovely chat with him. No, Jesus says, actually, whenever you pray, it's always at midnight. Midnight is a time of desperation. Any true prayer is birthed out of desperation. It's birthed out of an absolute desperation on your part to connect with God. And actually, some people, they, they, feel, they, they, they feel embarrassed by their desperation. Some, some, some people come to church, they come to God, and they're desperate, and, and they almost feel like they don't belong in church if they're desperate. But actually, that's the opposite. You perfectly belong in church if you're desperate. In fact, if you're content, that's when I would question whether or not you actually need to be here at all. If you have what you need, if you have enough for your life, for your family, for the, for, for the challenges that you're facing, maybe you should just go enjoy the weather, you know? Maybe you should just go, go, go camping with the family, go hang out on, on the water because everything's good for you. The church is not comprised of people who believe that everything is good in their life and things are clicking and working. The church exists for people who are desperate, for people who have tried other things and they don't know anywhere else to turn. This is what Jesus says. He says that you're going to your friend at midnight, which means in order for you to access, this is the, I mean, you, you can pray without desperation. It just, it just won't work. You know, I mean, you can go ahead and throw words up there and you can even quote the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. You can recite it like a chant and just go and go and go and go. But the, the amount of times you say it does not affect how, how, how it works in your life. What, what affects how it works in your life is how desperate you are for God. And that's why within worship, we're singing about how we, we need him, 
how we love him, how, how we want to remove every other love because he is all that we need. We're, we're, not, we're not just like, like saying that because that, that, that would be a nice way to approach God. But that is the only way to truly approach God. You have to come to a place of desperation. And for some people, life has brought them to this place of des- desperation. That's what happened to this guy. Jesus said, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. Why are you there? Because you're hungry? No. Because you like a midnight snack? No. You go to him because a friend of yours has come to your house asking for food from you. So we, we become desperate whenever we wake up to the reality of what this world is asking from us. Whenever we wake up to the reality of what our family is asking from us, whatever, whenever we wake up to the reality of what our, our work, our job is asking of us, and we, we decide to, to recognize the fact that we don't have what it takes. Which brings me to my, to my second D. The first D is you have to be desperate. And the second D is you have to be dependent or destitute. You have to be poor spiritually. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and people often say, what did he mean by that? Well, a- actually, he meant blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's exactly what he meant. It's amazing. Uh, he, poor means poor, means poverty, means to not have very much. He said, blessed are the ones who don't have very much inside of their spirit, who don't have a lot of resources, who don't have a lot of capabilities, who don't have a lot of faith, who don't have a lot of strength inside of the spirit. Blessed are the poor. Now, now he's not saying that you have to be poor in spirit in order to make it to heaven, just as all of the Beatitudes are not, Beatitudes are not necessarily um, salvific. It's not like your salvation depends on it. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, he said, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for they shall be, they, for, for so he, they persecuted the, the ones who came before you. Well, that doesn't mean that you have to be persecuted in order to get to heaven. He's saying, though, that from heaven's perspective, that there is a special blessing connected with spiritual poverty, which is why so oftentimes we see people who, who, who have been in churches for long periods of time, who have gone through every class, who have read almost every conceivable book, they've memorized almost all the Bethel songs, and yet, and, and, they, they, and they can quote Psalms, Proverbs, and they even dabble in Ecclesiastes occasionally, and yet, and yet they, their prayers fall to the ground, they seem like they're not able to move, because what they've done is they've become rich in spirit. And certainly there are uh, spiritual riches that are good, but the kind, the way to spiritual riches is not to collect the nuggets of truth because riches is different in the spirit. In, in the physical realm, you, you are rich or poor based on how much you have collected. In the spiritual realm, you are rich or poor based on how much you've been able to give away, based on how much you've been able to disseminate, to, to pass through you. It's not what has come to you and stopped That's not riches. It's what has come to you and has gone through you. And so, unfortunately, many times people have an earthly mindset of riches, and they apply that to the spiritual realm, and they think, if I just collect enough truth, if I collect enough correct doctrine, if I collect enough experiences with God, then I will be strong and all this kind of thing. But but really, they, they miss out on the joy of being completely destitute of anything but God. This is why Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. If you were able to collect it and store it and, you know, tomorrow whip out bread from today, he wouldn't say pray for daily bread. 
He says, pray for daily bread because you essentially, the height of spiritual maturity is ultimate dependence on God moment by moment. The spiritually mature ones are not the ones who are like, oh, I don't really need church today because I'm doing pretty good. I just, you know, I just sit in front of my TV and watch a, a YouTube preacher and, and I'll be fine. Those aren't the spiritually mature ones. They're the ones who think they are. They believe themselves to not be entirely dependent on God. They believe themselves to have acquired a certain amount of knowledge and a certain amount of skills so that they now know how to walk in such a way that they can, that they can follow God and without the moment-by-moment moment need. Blessed are the poor in spirit, eternally poor in spirit, that the more I receive from God, yeah, he gives me things, and there is riches in his kingdom. The more I receive, the more I use. So any, like, any, any word that God gives you that you haven't put into practice, that, that's, that's, that's a dead word. That doesn't work. And so every word has to, be, has to be, every calorie has to be burned. Every spiritual calorie has to be burned. You have to take it in, and you have to work it off. You know what I'm saying? So God, God gives us things, absolutely. But, but, but blessed are the poor in spirit, because this man, this man goes to his friend, and he says, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing. I have nothing. Well, I have a little bit from a class I took back. No, I have nothing. Not a zip, zero, zilch, nothing, no thing. I have no thing to set before him. And one of the reasons, I think, why we, especially in America, why, why, why we don't see more prayer answered and why we don't see more power in our spiritual lives is because we do not say, I have nothing. Because we cannot say that because we actually have multiple things. And these things... Weigh us down. These things weigh us down. We are so burdened with so many things that our friends come to us and we don't say, hold on a second, I need to talk to God. I have nothing for you. We say, well, you know, um, I heard one time, I read this one time, I had this quote, this one. We, 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 we have so many things, both, both, both actual physical things and mental, the spiritual things. But even the actual physical things, like, like they create stress in our lives. And so, so many times people will, will ask prayer requests, like the right, right on the prayer request, uh, that, that for prayer with regard to stress from their finances. And that happens all the time. And I totally get it because when you, when you, when, when you are short on finances, it creates stress in your life. Right? When you can't pay your bills, it's tough. It's difficult. You don't know where, where the money is coming from. But my advice to people is, is not that, well, you need to get more money, although I think you need to manage money that you have. My advice is that you need to get less money. You need to give more of your money away. You need to give it to God, as we tell our kids. You have too many toys. You need to give them all to God. You, you need to give God all of your money. And not just like 10% on Sunday, but you need to give him 100% of your money. Like, it's all his money. And so when you, when you give it all to him, then he calls the shots. He decides what you're going to spend it on. And then all of the stress is his. But we cannot say I have nothing until we have truly let go of everything. And the fact that we hold on to things, the fact that our, our homes are owned by us and our cars are owned by 
us and our kids are owned by us and our spouses are our spouses and our time is our time and our gifts and our talents are our gifts and our talents. We cannot say I have nothing because we have all this stuff and we come to God and we say, God, I'd really like you to bless my stuff. And he doesn't, he doesn't answer because look, <laughs> look how Jesus describes the guy inside the door, God. He says, God will answer. He will answer from within. Do not bother me. This is almost blasphemy in, in today's. You're not going to hear this, Caleb. Um, go pray to God and he'll tell you, stop bothering me. <laughs> the door is shut. You know, I, I think you could see that. He's stating the obvious. The door is shut. This isn't an open invitation. I didn't ask you to come over. The door is shut and my children are with me. They're in bed, right? We just got the toddler down, dude. Like, seriously, stop knocking on the door. You're going to wake them up. All the parents, you, you know what that feels like. And, and, and he says, I cannot get up and give you anything. I cannot get up and give you. This is a strange picture of God because God so often is ready and willing to reach out to us and meet our needs. But when Jesus talks about prayer, he talks about a God who has locked himself in his house and he can't be bothered to roll out of bed. That's interesting. Why would God say that? Why would God communicate in such a way? I think people who, who just think Jesus is just so loving and wonderful, they, they don't really read what he says because that's pretty harsh for our, our heavenly father, for our friend. Yeah, friend in need is a friend indeed. Just don't go to God at midnight because this is the response you'll get. But I love how real Jesus is because if anybody has ever walked with God for very long, if you've ever been desperate for God and destitute of everything and you come to him and cry out to him, you, there's a strong chance that you're going to hear something like this, don't bother me. And if you haven't, you're not really being honest. Like we tell testimonies like, we, like, like I shared my little you know, testimony of the faith flower. And I, I skipped right over 12 years like it was nothing. But anybody who's lived from age 12 to 23, you know it's not nothing. So there's all sorts of things I didn't mention. There's all sorts of struggles I didn't, I didn't, I didn't talk about. There's all sorts of, of times where God was completely silent that I didn't really get around to sharing with you. Because those kinds of things don't get people excited. <laughs> but Jesus isn't after getting an amen section. Jesus isn't looking for agreement. He's telling them reality. Sometimes you go to God and you get nothing. You hear nothing. You feel nothing. You see nothing. He's got, he's got nothing. And he comes to God and sits outside of God's door still with nothing. And that's just the reality. That's just life. That's how God works. And God doesn't, he doesn't seem to want to explain himself either. He just says, look, I'm tired. It's late. Caught me at a bad time. God's tired, really? Of course, we know God doesn't sleep. So why is he, obviously he doesn't sleep because he's awake when the man's knocking. Why is he slow to get up? Why doesn't he rush to the door and fling it open? 
This is what Jesus says. I tell you why he won't get up. He will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. He will not get up and give him anything based on friendship. In other words, God doesn't answer prayer based on friendship. He wants, Jesus wants you to know this. He wants you to know that just because you have this relationship with God doesn't mean that you're going to get everything that you ask for. And so he says, in fact, God doesn't answer prayer based on relationship. It's not because he likes you. Because if he were to do that, he would just answer everybody's prayer because he likes everybody. He considers himself a friend. He is, he is friendly toward all of humanity. He says, look, he's not getting up because of his friendship. And I think sometimes we assume that since God likes us and because he's our friend, that really at any given point in life, God's going to solve all of our problems because he just likes us so much. You know, we almost see God as like the helicopter parent, you know, who's just like, just like trying to make sure that we don't, that we don't bump, our, bump our heads and get a boo-boo. And so he's just kind of like checking. But he's actually not. He's closed the door. And he's like, yeah, can't really be bothered. Can't get up right now. Sorry. He, 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 is, he is teaching us that his friendship with us is one thing. It's one thing, but his ability to meet us at the point of our need is something else. We have this undeniable friendship with him, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. But not everybody experiences breakthrough in their life. And so he, he gives us the secret. He says, yet because of his Im, Im, impudence, 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 he will rise. We don't, we, don't, we don't use that word much in English. So I had to look it up. And um, I didn't really, I couldn't make sense even of the English word. Um, so I had to go to the original word. The original word in the original language. Um, it's lit, it literally means not without shame. Not without shame. That's a double negative. Not without shame. So it, it kind of means with shame. So often, uh, uh, you know, pe- people, I- I've read this passage and I've often thought that, that, that Jesus is saying, well, he won't answer because he's his friend, but because of his like persistence, you know, that he will answer. And there's that's some truth to that. Some translations say persistence, but it's really not without shame. What he's, he's not really referring to the character of, of us crying out to God. He's referring to the character of God. He says, but because God is not without shame. Let me say it another way. Because God cares about his reputation. That, that, that he says God is not without shame. God is, 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 is in the house. He's closed the door. He has this friendship. And he is not ready to jump out and give them whatever he needs. But, but he does want to teach his people that he cares especially about one thing more than he cares about us. And it is his name, his reputation, which is the final secret to prayer, is that, is that if you want your prayers to be answered, you have to pray in such a way that if God were to answer it, that it would glorify his name. Many of us, we pray, and if God were to give us all of our prayer requests just in a moment, one, nobody's lives around us would be any better. It would just be us. Our lives would be more convenient. And that's why we don't receive from God, because we're primarily 
asking God to sort of fix us and just help us and do things for us and all that kind of thing. And that's great. But what God really wants and when God really rushes to open the door is when he sees that his reputation is at stake. This is why, this is why it's good to, to share with other people that you're trusting in God for this or for that. This is why it's good to let people know that God is your source and God is, and God is, the, God is behind it. Because what it does is it puts his reputation at stake. Basically, he's saying the man is outside of the door and he's knocking and it's midnight and neighbors are going to start to hear because it's going to get loud. And then God is going to say, God is going to be concerned that the neighbors are going to say, well, God's not able to do what God said he would do. God's not able to meet his need. And this is, this is the final secret of prayer is that you have to be able uh, to, in your need, in your desperation, Look apart from just yourself and look to the greatness of God. Because he is concerned primarily about his great name. He's done everything, all of this for his name. He's even sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for us in order that his name might be glorified. Yes, he loves us, absolutely. But his purpose, his ultimate purpose in the world is to reveal himself to show himself to humanity, to show himself to a lost world. And so in Luke chapter 1, if they they would bring it up, there's a prayer that I would like for us to read. Just as this prayer of of Mary, Jesus' mother. And Mary is going through a difficult time. Mary has just found out uh, that she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. She, she, She agreed to this transaction. And we also know that behind the scenes, you obviously, you have, you have, uh, you have, social issues where here's a young woman who's not married, who's pregnant, um, and in those days this was, this was especially scandalous. Uh, but also you have husband issues because her fiancé is now not sure that, <laughs> that God did it. Um, you know, he's kind of questioning some things, looking to divorce her, to put her away uh, quietly. And so Mary goes off to her relative's uh, Elizabeth's house, And while she's at Elizabeth's house, she prays this prayer. And I think this is a great prayer to pray at midnight. This is a great prayer to pray when you don't know how things are going to work out. When you're in the middle of difficulty, when you seem like you have a promise, but yet there's this long process. She starts off, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies. It magnifies, it means exactly what you think. To take a magnifying glass and to blow up the image of God in your mind, to take the magnifying glass of your conscience and of your mind and of your focus and hold it up, really, to the Son of God, to, 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 the, to the greatness of God. And God is already huge, but sometimes what we focus on becomes bigger in our perspective. And so what Mary says is that she's going to focus on the greatness of God. I'm not going to focus on my problem. I'm not going to focus on Joseph possibly leaving me. I'm not going to focus on my, my, my community possibly rejecting me. I am going to focus on the great. My soul takes a magnifying glass and puts it on the person of God, who he is. I'm going to examine every detail of him, every bit of his faithfulness, every bit of his goodness. I'm going to magnify him. I took Madden on a little date uh, day to the mall the other day, and we walked by one of those mirrors that flips. You know, it's a regular mirror on one side, and it's a magnified mirror on the other side. 
And so I don't think she'd ever seen one of those because we don't have one in our house because what's the point? Um, nobody sees that close in your face anyway. I don't need to be, anyway. So I said, hey, look at this. And so she was, she was, she was noticing you know, every little speck and every little, you know, every little hair and everything. Like, and and it's sometimes I, I think that's one of the two things that we do. We either magnify people or problems, right? We take out the magnifying glass, we look at them, or we get out a magnifying mirror. And we start looking at ourselves. So I'm kind of deficient in this, and I don't really like that about myself, and I don't really think that, that I'm going to be able to cut it there. And we start beating ourselves up for everything we've ever done and everything we've ever thought and everything. And, and, and we, we, nobody even sees us up that close. And yet we think that everybody is like pointing out all these faults and all these flaws. We see all the wrinkles. We see all the gray, you know, that, that, that's, that's clearly there. And, and uh, you know, and, and you start seeing the flaws. You start seeing the wrinkles. You start seeing the problems in yourself. And when you do that, you magnify yourself. It causes stress. It causes anxiety. It causes depression because you're holding it all in. You're pressing it all down. But, but Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So she's recognizing that she's not all that. But she says, look, God has seen me. God has noticed me. Even though I'm not all that, God has looked on me. I have nothing, but God has looked on me. For behold, she says, from now on, that's an important statement to think about. From now on. All generations will call me blessed. She may not even be calling herself blessed right now. Joseph isn't really calling her blessed. But she's choosing to change perspective from right now to from now on. She says, I believe that whatever God's doing inside of me right now is going to produce some good in me from now on. That there is from now on, there are generations that my kids are going to be glad that I made the decisions that I made. That my grandkids are going to be, I may not, I don't know how it's going to turn out right here and right now. But I believe that from now on, that in the future, that these were the right things to do. And that the right things will ultimately line up with God's will for my life. So she says, he is mighty. He's done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's, 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 she's talking about herself. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he sent away empty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's an interesting paradox, isn't it? Poverty and owning a kingdom at the exact same time. But he said, he has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He's been faithful. And sometimes in the middle of the process, that's what you have to do. You have to look forward and say, God's going to work this out. But you also have to look backward and say, God has been good. God has been faithful. Would you bow your head and pray with me for just a moment? Lord, we come before you. And uh, even just as a response, if you're hungry for more of God, would you just raise your hand and say, I need more of God. I feel a hunger 
stirring up inside of me. Lord, we ask you to do that. We ask you to stir up hunger inside of us. The hungry are filled, but the rich go away empty. So Lord, we ask you to stir up more hunger inside of us, Lord. Lord, we choose right now, we choose to turn away from these, these hunger suppressants, the hunger suppressant of entertainment, the hunger suppressant uh, of, 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 of news media and the constant cycle. Lord, we choose to turn away from those things that, that, that deny us how hungry we are. And we choose to recognize that our spirits are groaning for you. Our spirits are grumbling for you. Our, 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 our spirits are murmuring for you. We desire you. And we are rich physically. Many of us, we live in America. We have so many things. And yet these things block us from you. These things stop us from recognizing how much we need you. So we choose to give these things to you right now, Lord. We, we give you our possessions. You can do whatever you want with them, Lord. We give you our time. You can do whatever you want with it, Lord. We'll serve your kingdom. We'll serve people. We'll give to people. Lord, you can, you can take our money and give it to homeless people. You can do whatever you want with this, this, this cash flow. It is come to us from you, and so it ought to go back to you. Our entire life has come from from you. We didn't, we didn't birth ourselves. We didn't make ourselves. You made us. When we give ourselves to you, we're just returning. We're just returning what you made to begin with, what you rightfully own. We're not doing any favors. We're not adding anything new to you. We're just giving you back what you created, what you made, what you formed with your own hands, what you saw in your own mind. What you birthed in your own will, God, that we should live at this time and in this place in history, God. This is just you. This is all you're making. This is all you're doing. You have a plan. So we give ourselves to you. We give our families to you. We give our children to you, Lord. We give our children to you. It's not our job to, 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 to take care of them. It's not, we, we are not our own protector. We are not our own defender. We are not our own supplier. You are our defender. You are our protector. You are our supplier. We put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. We're desperate. We have nothing. We have no protection. We have no plan. We have no, no, no ingenuity. We have no ability. We have nothing. We need you. We are hand to mouth, from your hand to our mouth. We need you. And this church needs you, Lord. Thank you for all the awesome people that have come, but, <laughs> but we need you. Thank you for musicians and, and teachers and Sunday school and small group leaders and, and people sacrificing their life. But ultimately, God, it's all worthless without you. Many people have come together and tried to do great things, but we need the presence of God. We need the spirit of God. We need what only you can give. We need bread. We got, we got a table. We got chairs. We don't have any bread. We need bread. We need what only you can give. We got the house, we got glass in the windows, we got lights, we don't, we, but we're starving for bread. We're starving for spiritual nourishment, Lord. We need you. We have processes and programs, but we need you. South Austin and Buda needs you. They don't need more processes and programs. They don't need more friendly people. Texas is full of friendly people. They need spiritual people. They need people who have bread. They need people who have something to actually feed the soul with. We need you. You are our pursuit. 
We don't need our culture's approval. We don't need to be a prodigy by age 18. We don't need to do anything great. We don't need to leave a mark. We need you. We need bread. The bread of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Stir up hunger inside of us. Stir up poverty inside of us. Lord, may we empty ourselves of everything that we, we think would be rich, of everything that would be of value. May we lay it before your feet. May we put it before the King of Kings. We submit it to you. Give it completely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.